Hey everyone, and welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, where it's our mission and purpose to help you find and follow Jesus. It is a special day because our message for today kicks off a brand new sermon series from Pastor Paul titled, I Am. In this collection of sermons from the Gospel of John, we will be studying the I Ams of Jesus that reveal his character and sufficiency for the human soul. These declarations of Jesus unquestionably prove that He and the Father are one. And this can give us hope, purpose, and a strong desire to know Him more. So here's Pastor Paul, and we hope the message inspires and encourages you today. Man, it is awesome out here, and I'm glad that you're with us this morning. Let's go ahead and turn our Bibles to John chapter 6. We're going to get started today. John chapter 6. And uh, if you haven't had the chance yet, uh, feel free to go to citybaptist.ca on your mobile phone and go to slash forward slash worship and type that in. And you can always download the worship guide. And I've got a lot of the verses in there. Uh, The notes are there. You can fill them in, just tap them on your phone or open them up in a a PDF reader and you can follow along and keep those notes and then save them for afterwards. And uh, and so, or if you're taking notes here, uh, just get ready to follow along. Sometimes it helps uh, to follow along with those notes. Um, But I'm excited to uh, begin a brand new series with you together today. And uh, the Revelation series that we've been in for the last, uh, let's see, eight weeks we're in Revelation. We're going to go ahead and move that to our Wednesday night. So we're going to continue studying the book of Revelation, but it's going to be on our Wednesday nights in our groups. And so um, you'll uh, be getting all that information. I'll talk a bit about it at the end. Um, And so we'll finish off the book of Revelation. But today uh, we're starting a brand new series from the book of John. If you want to get a head start, you can go to John chapter number six uh, is where we'll be here in a few uh, minutes. But we're going to be studying together over the next seven weeks the seven I am statements of Jesus Christ that are found in the book of John. Now, the gospel of John is a very interesting book. It's it's unique uh, compared to the other gospels. And uh, a lot of the other ones, there's a lot of um, stories, you know, that are, are written in Mark and written in Matthew that are connecting stories. But John in itself is very, very unique. And the reason it's so unique is that it doesn't cover so much of the miracles of Christ. In fact, it covers only seven miracles of Christ. But it's really specific in that John is trying to illustrate to whoever his readers are, and it's not really specific whether it's to Jews or to Gentiles, it's for everyone, that whosoever, right? Think about John 3, 16, whosoever would believe. I, I want to quote that to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And John's goal for the book is that whoever hears the word of Christ, whoever hears about Jesus, that they would believe then, that they would take what they have and what they learn about Christ and that they would believe. In the final verses in John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, it says, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So he made it clear. He says, there's a lot of stuff that happened, but I didn't write about it. And then he says, but these are written. So he says, the the seven miracles that I gave to you, the seven I am statements of Christ that he so clearly emphasized for us, these were written, notice, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. See, the simple goal for the apostle John was that through the testimony of the miracles and the works and the words of Jesus Christ, the world would hear and they would believe that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. And he does this by intentionally recording these seven unique miracles that are in the book and recording these seven specific I am statements that Christ made about himself. Now, here's what what he's trying to do. Uh, If you uh, include the miracles 
and you include the statements that Jesus made, what we see is a very clear, complete picture about the deity of Jesus Christ. And, and this is what he's trying to do. He, he tries to reveal the deity of Christ, but he also at the same time reveals the complete humanity of Jesus Christ. And he does that and illustrates that through uh, the many miracles and stories that are within the book of John. But for these I am proclamations that we're gonna cover, that we're gonna study over the next few weeks, uh, what we will do is we'll grow in our understanding of Jesus' ministry and of his characteristics. Now, there's another unique thing about this. This is all preliminary, right? There's another unique thing about these I am statements is that not only do they prove his deity, but they also connect Jesus back to the God of the Old Testament as well. And so every week we're gonna see the connection back to the Old Testament. Uh, today though, I just wanna remind you of Exodus chapter three and verse number 14. This of course is the story where uh, God is revealing himself to Moses. And you remember he called, he said to Moses, he said, I am that I am. Do you remember that? Very specifically, God says, I am that I am. And then he says, when you go uh, to uh, Egypt and you go to the Israelites, remember Moses was nervous. He says, God, I stutter. I can't really talk very well. What am I supposed to say? He says, when you go to the Israelites, you say to them, I am has sent me. Do you remember that? And, uh, and, and, and that's the, the idea that in Judaism then, that when someone uses the term I am or the descriptor, they are unquestionably uh, understood as it being the covenant name of God. So this is all sort of foundational as to where we are going to be. It's, it's describing the fact that God is, uh, in fact, it's in the present tense, meaning that God is present. He is self-sustaining. Uh, we would say today, he just is, <laughs> you know? You ever have your kids say like, why can't I do this? Well, just because, <laughs> because this is what it is. And, and, and for God, he is the I am that I am. He is, I am, he just, he is. He is, he is, is constant, he is continuing. He's just always has been. And so I tell you that, and I remind you of, of that passage in Exodus, because when Jesus makes the statements of I am, when he says to, the, to these Jews, his I am, uh, it, is, it, is, it is a huge claim and connection to God. Remember, the, the Jews, they had the Old Testament. They knew who God was. They, they knew all of that. And so when he says, I am, and the descriptor, they're connecting immediately him back to God, uh, the Father. He was identifying himself and connecting himself to God. Now, I want you to recognize the, the I am statements that we're going to cover are not accidental in any way. They're very specific. God, you know, Jesus didn't say anything unintentionally. I, you know, we don't have any recorded where he's like, oh, hey, forget I said that. <laughs> it is very specific. It's very clear. Uh, he, is, he is clearly uh, telling them uh, and describing himself that he is Jesus, that he is uh, the son of God. They're strategic and they're unquestionable in their in their specific, uh, specificity, I guess is the word that we want to use, in what Jesus is trying to get across. And, and at the same time as well, I don't want us to underestimate the shock value that this would have had for the Jews that were listening. So don't miss out on that as well. When he, when he made those statements, when he as a carpenter from Nazareth says, I am to a group of religious Jews, it would have been like, <gasps> it would have been a big deal. I was trying to think of a way that we could compare it to today. I don't know. I think probably the only way, maybe the shock value would be is if you were introducing, let's say me to your coworkers. I don't know, whatever reason, I came to have lunch with you at work, right? Uh, one day we'll be able to do that kind of stuff again. And I came and I walk into your office or your place of work and you're walking around with me and you say, oh, hey, hey, uh, pastor, this is uh, my friend from work. And I say, hi, I'm Prime Minister Paul Connor. 
<laughs> uh, you can imagine uh, how, first of all, you'd be like, uh, <laughs> you never told me that. What happened to the hair, you know? And you would never, <laughs> obviously it would be a bit of a shock to them. And to the, the person who was hearing that for the first time, immediately be like, this guy is crazy, right? This guy is nuts. He doesn't look anything like, like JT. He doesn't look like him at all. And, uh, and, and so the, the shock value. So for Jesus to say, I am, what is that? He's saying, I'm God. And they're saying, whoa, whoa. So this is a big deal when he makes these Statements. These are huge. These are major statements that Jesus is making. They prove his deity, but they teach us all about his character, his satisfaction, and his sufficiency for the human soul and for the eternal soul following life on this earth. And so I'm very excited to share these characters of God. It's going to be a great study together there in the book of John. But today we're going to begin in John chapter 6, where we see the first one that's mentioned uh, in John's gospel. And uh, it's where Jesus referred to himself as I am the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Why don't we have a quick word of prayer together? Father, thank you for the time that we have in your word today. I pray that you would speak to us now through this time in your, uh, your holy word. Thank you for preserving it for us. Thank you for uh, prompting John to record these uh, characteristics of who you are so that we can know you in a greater way, so that we can trust you in a greater way. Lord, help us to believe today. Help us to have faith today. And God, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity we have to worship together. In your name we pray, amen. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Now, we all understand what it's like to be hungry, don't we? We all know what it's like to, uh, from the day we are born <laughs> to, uh, to this day that we are right now, we know what it's like to go throughout our lives wanting to eat, uh, always wanting to eat. Uh, in our home, there's probably not a day that doesn't go by where somebody yells out, I'm starving or I'm hungry. I mean, and I'm talking 10 minutes after dinner, you know, like there's, there's not a day that goes by where somebody says that. And the reason is, is because God created our bodies to run on food, didn't he? He created, I mean, it's an amazing thing. And I'm sure you remember from when you were a kid in elementary school and how the body digests, uh, you know, food. I remember as a kid, I had to uh, do a, uh, uh, a whole story. I should have brought it in in fifth grade and, and I had to show how food was digested. I drew all these intestines and stuff. And it was great. Of course, I did my whole project on a boy accidentally getting swallowed, which anyway, I had a strange mind, I guess. <laughs> Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was kind of big back then, if you remember. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and our bodies run on food. And, and the thing about hunger is that it's, it's God's built-in warning system to us that something is wrong, that, our, that we are getting low. Uh, this week, I uh, had opportunity to uh, spend a few minutes with Andy, and uh, we had coffee uh, earlier this week, and, and Andy's sitting there, and we're talking, you know, socially distanced, and from six feet away, I heard his stomach go, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and Andy goes, oh, sorry, you know, Pastor, you know, and, uh, and he says, I haven't eaten any breakfast, and I said, I totally get it, because my stomach's doing the same thing, you know, and what is that? Well, that's a warning system, you know, and uh, not of anything else, but he was hungry, and, and, it, and it gives us that sensation, and so when we have that sensation in our bodies, we say, all right, it's time for me to eat, because that feeling of hunger keeps us alive, doesn't it? That feeling of hunger keeps us alive. Now, within the human experience, it's not just the physical uh, need of hunger, that tells us about emptiness in our bodies, right? So the physical hunger tells us about emptiness in our bodies. But for us as, as humans, we are more than just a body, aren't we? We are a soul. And there is a spiritual hunger within every person that needs fuel as well for it to keep going, for it to remain healthy, for it to be sustainable. You know, for many people within our city, there are people that are spiritually hungry, they have a feeling of emptiness inside of them, but they don't know what it is. 
And so what do they do? They try uh, everything that they can to fill it. They'll pursue anything at all to fill that emptiness inside. Many of you here today, you understand that feeling. You remember what it was like maybe before Christ, or you know what it's like to uh, maybe be a Christian and not walking with God for a time and having that sense of emptiness, that sense of longing, like something is not quite right. See, this is the desire that Jesus is going to speak to when he calls himself and he reveals himself as the bread of life. And so in the middle of a long sermon that follows the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus uh, speaks to this deep desire in the human soul. Now you can imagine the feeding of the 5,000 made a big difference in the lives of the people that experienced it. <laughs> can you imagine that? I mean, 5,000 men, the Bible says, which would have included then uh, women and children, probably 15 to 20,000 people were there, experienced Jesus take a lunch from a little boy uh, that had five loaves and two fishes and how he basically reproduced those in a miraculous way so that everybody ate their fill. And at the end of it all, there was 12 basketfuls to tell those disciples, yeah, I showed you, right? No, it wasn't like that at all. He, he, they, they doubted it very much so, right? Because they were like, uh, uh, not pastor, <laughs> Jesus, no, we don't, we don't have enough money to buy food for all these people. And he said, hey, just what do we have? And I can do something with that. And that, of course, is an amazing story there. But imagine the impact it would have made for those people as Jesus provided that wonderful meal for all of those people. Well, let's pick up the story then in John chapter 6 and verse number 22. I hope you've got your Bibles with, me, with you today. You can follow along. Uh, we're going to cover a few verses here. I'll, I'll comment on a few of them as we go. Verse number 22, it says, and the day following, so this is the day following that great miracle, uh, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea uh, saw that there was none other boat there, save the one whereinto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias, nine of the day, when they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. Verse 24, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples also, they took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? So there's a little bit that happened between the end of verse 15, which is the feeding of the 5,000 down to verse 22. And that was basically, uh, Jesus said, I need to get out of here for a little bit. I need to rest. Jesus understood the importance of taking that time to separate and to rest. And so he went alone into the mountain and the disciples took off on their own across the sea on the boat, which, you know, we look at that, we say, well, what's wrong with them? That's not very kind. Uh, I don't know if God told them, we don't have that recorded. But of course, later on, we see how Jesus walked on the sea. Remember there was a storm, he walked and they saw him and that whole story. Well, they end up over in Capernaum. Well, the people, when they get up the next day, they go looking for Jesus. Man, he fed us yesterday. I hope he's got some more fish and bread kicking around. And so they go to find him and he's not there. And they realize, wait a minute, the boat he came in is gone and all of this. So they jump in some boats. I mean, think about five, like, I, I don't know how many people. I, it says a crowd, which means a lot of people. So they found a way to get to Capernaum. It says there were other boats there. I don't know if they were chartering them. It was only a few kilometers away really where they went from there. So maybe it wasn't that difficult. Maybe they're doing boats back and forth. I don't know. But they went and they found Jesus and they said to him, why are you here? Where'd you go? Look at verse 26. But Jesus answered them and said, verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because he saw the miracles, but because he did eat of the loaves and were filled. Now Jesus begins to draw some lines here. He says, you're not, you're not here today because of the miracles I did even. He says, you're here because I fed you. And then he says this in verse 27, labor not for the meat which perisheth, for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the son of man shall give unto you, for him hath God the father sealed. 
The crowd that had experienced that physical meal came and that's really what they were looking for. But Jesus sets the record straight here. He says, you guys are just here because you want the free lunch. You want the free food. But then he transitions. Did you notice there? In verse 27, he says, labor not for the meat which perisheth. What is he saying to them? He's saying, you're here for the free food, but I want you to know that's not what you should be laboring for. You should be laboring for food that is eternal, food that, uh, uh, which endureth unto everlasting life. Verse number 28. Then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he has sent. They said therefore unto him, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believest thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat man in the desert as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Man, this is an interesting conversation here. Uh, so Jesus uh, is speaking to them and then they respond, well, what are we supposed to do? Again, they're missing the point. They said, how do we work the works? How, well, how, do we, how do we achieve this? What can we do in order to attain this thing? Now they're again thinking about their physical needs rather than spiritual needs. And then we see them invoking manna. Did you notice that? And there in verse 31, they invoke the manna that God miraculously provided for Israel during their 40 years of wandering uh, in the wilderness. Again, this is the idea that maybe this guy can provide for us an everlasting source of food that we never have to worry about Again, it's still about the physical fulfillment. Now, I recognize that for us today, we struggle understanding their infatuation with food, right? I mean, unless you're a real foodie <laughs> um, or unless you've experienced true hunger, it's really hard to relate to these people. Why are they so, in fact, like, why do they want food all the time? Why do they want an everlasting supply of food, a physical food that would come to them? Well, of course, we have to remember the society in that day, right? The society in that day was very much you go to work, you get paid that day, you take that money, you go to the market, you buy food for you and your family that day, enough for maybe that night, and then your breakfast in the morning, and then you go back to work the next day and you work all day. If you miss a day of work, you may not eat. And so it's very much a hand to mouth as kind of the idea of society where uh, th that was a daily focus. To us, today, we're so blessed. I mean, if you, if you didn't work tomorrow, I guarantee you'd go to your cupboard or your fridge and find enough food for a day, maybe two, uh, maybe a week even, you could find enough food. We don't have that, that uh, shortage of food concern or nervousness or anxiety. I think they call it food anxiety or meal anxiety. We don't, we don't know what that's like. But for this society, that was a big deal. And so that's why they're so focused. You know, Jesus provided for 15 to 20,000 people like that, right? That's a big deal. That's a big deal. So it, we recognize a little bit their focus, but Jesus is still trying to get them to go in the right direction. Look at verse number 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. Now here we're hitting some key phrases here. My father gives the true bread. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Now we immediately say, who is it? That's Jesus, right? Jesus is the one. He's the bread. He came down now and we connect the dots. They still were not connecting the dots there as he says. He says, God's going to give you a true bread. He's going to give you the real deal, the eternal bread. And it's going to come down from heaven. And Jesus makes it very clear. The one who comes down from heaven, he is the one that is sent from God, who is the true bread. All right, so we're following Jesus here. And then we come to verse number 34. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. They say, hey, give us this bread. We want to have it. 
Now, of course, we're looking at it, we're like, he's right in front of you, right? <laughs> he's standing right in front of you. You still don't get it. So Jesus makes it super clear in verse number 35. I want you to look at that. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Why don't you say that verse together with me? Ready? Begin. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Jesus says if the people here wanted eternal, life-giving, satisfaction, bread, and he throws in there never thirst again as well. If they wanted that eternal satisfaction, then they must believe on Jesus Christ. And he makes it abundantly clear here. He says, I am. So he's now connecting to the Father, right? He says, the Father said the bread is coming. He's connecting the dots. He says, it's God who sent the manna and it's God who has sent me. And of course, when he says, I am, he's making himself equal with God there at that point. And, and I don't think we can fully grasp the impact that it made when he said, I am the bread of life. God has sent me. I am the bread of life. I don't know if we can really grasp uh, the silence in the room or in the, in the field or wherever it was that he said this. As they would have stepped back and said, wait a minute. He is claiming something huge right here. But then Jesus just continued. And I want to read the next few verses. Verse 36. He said, but I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. And then here's some key verses. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Verse 39. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but it should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone, there's that key. Remember I said, John is all about everybody. Everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now there's two key things I want you to notice in those two passages I just read. Uh, you can kind of group them in 36 and 38, or through 38, and then 39 through 40. First of all, in verse 37 and verse 39, uh, Jesus speaks, he says here, all that God has given me. Did you notice that? He said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me and won't be cast out. Uh, as well in verse number 39, he says, all which he hath given to me. Now that word translated all there is interesting. It is a, it's a, it's a word that means all that it's a, it's a singular um, a neutered word that basically means all that you have received or all that you have in your possession. Okay. So he says here, he says to him, the total body of believers is how we would understand that. He says the, the people, everyone that's going to be saved. Okay. Everyone that's going to accept Christ has, cannot be cast out. Deals with security of salvation, okay? All of them are, are, are Christ. But then secondly, he says in verse 37 and then verse 40, he that cometh to me, and then it says, and everybody that sees me and believes in me uh, will have everlasting life. So he goes from speaking about the group of believers to now speaking about the individual person. And he says, the, he says those that are, that are saved, those that have trusted Christ, he said, they're not gonna lose it. I've got them locked down. But those that see and hear and believe and come after me will receive everlasting life. They are always welcome to receive that eternal satisfaction of the soul. And so in its very simplest form, Jesus is saying to the crowd, he's saying this, the only way to truly live is to eat the bread of life and I am the bread of life. Does that make sense? <laughs> make it very simple. He says the only way to truly have eternal life is to eat the bread of life and I am 
the bread of life. So what do we take from this? What can we learn about this statement of Jesus that can uh, help us grow closer to Christ as believers? Well, I wanna emphasize three truths that Jesus makes very clear in the passage that we've covered already. So we're gonna kind of do some points based off of what we've already talked about, okay? So point number one, in your notes there, you can type it in or, or write them down. There is a hunger for satisfaction, point number one. There is a hunger, a true hunger for satisfaction. You know, there was a reason all those people were willing to walk great distances, hire boats, follow them from shore to shore to track down this teacher from Nazareth. And the reason was, is because they were missing something. They wanted something from him. They desired uh, to see their physical needs met because a day before he had met their physical needs, right? But here we are the next day and they're hungry again. What had been met before was now needed again in their lives to continue because a full stomach only lasts for so long. It's temporary. It's temporary. And so we see in them this thing that had been satisfied. Now they have a longing again. Now it's a physical one. But the relation, of course, is to the spiritual. There's only so much that you can do in this physical world to satisfy or try to fill that emptiness, that soul emptiness that we have within us. There are so many non-believers, and I would say there's also a lot of Christians today that are, uh, maybe you say they're bored, <laughs> they're restless, they're, they're longing for something, even with all of the wealth and the prosperity that our society provides us today. So many are still chasing true soul fulfillment, and they're trying to do it within the physical realm. They're trying to uh, find things in this world to meet a spiritual need. And like I mentioned, it's people that don't know Christ, but a lot of Christians do this as well. They try to fulfill a spiritual need that is in Christ, but they try to do it in a physical way. Whether it's the pursuit of another promotion at work, uh, maybe it's just always looking forward to the next vacation, <laughs> the next time we're gonna get away, the next place we're gonna travel to someday. Uh, another a victory at the workplace or at their family, another down payment, another expensive meal. Whatever it may be that they're pursuing, those earthly pursuits will always leave you hungry again. They will always leave you wanting more. I think, I think we could probably go from car to car and from seat to seat and say, hey, give me an example of something you thought that if I got this thing, it would fulfill me. I'd be happy. And it actually did it. <laughs> it actually did it. I think we would find, I would say, and I'll, I'll say this, I think you guys would agree with me, that the vast majority of people will say, yeah, I got this thing and I thought it'd make me happy, but it didn't. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, I cannot find a cup of tea which is big enough or a book that is long enough. <laughs> I thought that was great. But what is he saying here? What did he mean? He meant that uh, what we think gives our lives meaning is just still never enough. But we think that when that goal is achieved, we think when that car or that house is paid off or when that uh, position arrives or we're finally able to buy this thing or we finally get that relationship of our dreams, right? <laughs> the one that we have just longed for and we finally have those things, then finally life is gonna be perfect and it's gonna be worth living, but yet it's never going to be enough. It's never gonna be enough because there is more to who we are than just the physical world. Jesus spoke about it in Matthew 5, verse 6, where he said, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. See, Jesus there gave us the direction that we should be pursuing 
which is righteousness. There is a hunger in our souls for satisfaction, but it will not be found in the physical. It can only be found in the pursuit of truth, of righteousness, or as we saw here in Jesus Christ. And that brings me to point number two. There is a hunger for satisfaction, number one, but number two, true satisfaction is found in Jesus. True satisfaction is found in Jesus. Why don't you say that with me? True satisfaction is found in Jesus. I want you to get that today. Don't miss out on it. True satisfaction is found in Jesus. A full stomach only lasts for a while, but a full soul will last you for a lifetime. When Jesus is speaking to the crowd, what he's saying to them is, I am, I am here to provide you with everything that you need for your spiritual life. They were after bread and they were after fish that wouldn't last. But Jesus reminded them again in John 6 and verse number 49. He said, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. Think about that for a moment. Remember, they were like, we want that manna in the wilderness. And Jesus says, yeah, remember those guys? They're all dead. They ate, God provided a physical need, but it didn't change their, you know, they're all, it didn't make them live forever. They're all, they're all dead. That's a way, of course, Jesus uh, was using to remind them that they had, uh, even though their needs were met miraculously, it doesn't change the fact that their lives, the physical life is temporary and that eternal life is found in Christ. That needs to be the pursuit. And that was the, that was the focus really of what Jesus talked about. I'm going to read a few verses here very quickly. John 6 verse 40, he said, this is the will of him that sent me that everyone which seeth the son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. This is the message that Jesus was preaching. Verse number 47 of John 6 says, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Verse number 50, he said, this is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. Verse 51, he said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If any man eat this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. By the way, that's a, a, a nod, a tip of the hat to what was to come with the crucifixion. And then in verse number 58, he said, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He told them twice, they're dead, remember. But he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. See, Jesus is the bread that gives life that never ends. And interestingly, the life that he mentions here is seen in two dimensions. And I wanna just cover that real quickly. First of all, the, the bread of life that Jesus is, when we receive it, first of all, it makes us alive and it satisfies us spiritually right now. Now, here's the great thing about Jesus. When we put our faith and trust in him and we receive the Holy Spirit, there is a satisfaction, there is a, uh, a, a uniqueness to that that happens for this life on, in this world, okay? So there is an element of Christ working in us and, and, and when you develop that relationship, think about it, you have a relationship with the creator of the universe, don't you? The creator of the universe. We have a relationship with him and, and because of his spirit, his life can flow through us and can give us satisfaction and wholeness and fulfillment here in this world. It can help us relate to him. It can help us to understand his word. Man, it's so great when you're reading the word of God and just, it just pops out at you and you're like, man, I get it now. And God, it, God reveals himself to you. So that's the element of life that's here. We have a renewed life. We walk in newness of life here in this earth. But the second aspect is that after we die physically, we'll be resurrected to live with Jesus again forever. That's that eternal life that he talked about. I don't know if you noticed it, but in four of the verses we've covered in verse 39, 40, 44, and 54, it references that Jesus will raise them up at the last day. Did you see that? That is talking about life after this earth. See, Jesus as the bread of life gives us life today and he gives us a life that will never falter. It'll never fade. It'll never fail us. And he is our redeemer and we can trust in him for that newness of life today and eternal life. Jesus is the answer to that. I wanna tell you, 
There is no marriage that can replace that. There is no friendship, no deep human friendship that can give you that same satisfaction. There is nothing at all that can take the place of Christ in our life. You know, I just gave you the example of a, a relationship or a marriage or whatever it may be. You know, as humans, we were created to worship God, not worship one another. We were created to uh, have dominion of this earth, not worship the earth. And so anytime we put all of these physical things in the place of God or try to find our satisfaction or a completion in, in that, it's always gonna leave us wanting more because Jesus is the one that we find our hope and our satisfaction and he is the one that we share, church. He's the one that we share with the seeking world all around us. Now, I think by now you get it. You get it? Jesus is the bread of life, okay? He's the, he's the source. Okay, good. Because that crowd really didn't get it. <laughs> they really didn't get it. And so th that's why it brings me to one last thought here because we, we wanna see uh, this final thought. So first of all, there's a hunger for satisfaction, yes. Secondly, true satisfaction is found in Jesus Christ. And then number three, we must believe to find that satisfaction. We must believe to find satisfaction. Uh, maybe you know what it's like to have a really uh, a busy day at work. I'm sure you, uh, you, you do, or you just have a busy day out doing something. You got a lot going on, you know, and uh, you forget to eat lunch. Have you ever had that happen before? Uh, it happens to me sometimes. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll look up and I'll be like, man, I gotta go home. And I, I haven't left my chair like for six hours or something, you know, I haven't even stood up and, uh, and, and whatever it may be. But let's say you go the day and you miss lunch or you're out and you just don't get to have it. And so you get home and you know what it's like to get home and just be hungry, right? You're hungry. And uh, I want you to imagine with me, you, you've come home after a long day, you haven't eaten any lunch. Maybe you only had a little bit of breakfast and you're just, I mean, you're feeling it. Like Andy sitting in the chair. I mean, you're like, whoa, man, it is, it's on. <laughs> I, and, and imagine, just imagine you come home that day and for whatever what, that day, somebody made you dinner. Isn't that great? I know some of you moms are, you know, maybe though if, you're, if you're the chef in the home right now, you're thinking, yeah, I gotta go home, make something for everybody. Uh, but imagine that that day, everything's taken care of and you get home and you sit down and somebody just, and I'm sorry if you're gluten-free, but somebody just comes in and puts a nice basket of warm, fresh dinner rolls. I mean, right from the oven, my grandma's recipe, and they put them right there in front of you, and you're sitting there. I mean, you're starving, Stephanie. You're hungry. You're ready to go. What would you do? I mean, I would grab as many as I could with one hand. I'd put them, I'd put butter on them, and of course, you're like, I'm going to start eating, of course, after praying, right? After praying, yeah, pray for it. Thank you, Lord, for this food. Amen. Those are the fastest prayers, right? When you're really hungry. And, uh, and you're going to start eating those things. And why do we do that? Well, because bread's only good if you eat it. <laughs> it's no good just sitting there in the basket. So the question is, is how do we eat the bread of life? Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. How do we, how do we, how do we get that? The answer is very, very simple. And this is what the Jews struggled with. When Jesus says to eat, to eat the bread of life means to believe in the bread of life, means to trust in the bread of life. Uh, look back at verse number 35 at the second part of the verse. He said, he that cometh to me shall never hunger and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Verse number 47 of John 6, he said, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. That's a, a done deal. You believe you will have everlasting life. See, when you take that bite of that dinner roll there on the table and you, you take that first big bite with lots of butter on it and whatever, or, or whatever it is that you would think of you would want when you got home after a day like that, uh, you, first of all, you believe that it's not going to kill you, of course, right? Uh, that no one's going to try to poison you. So you have that faith, of course. But you also believe that if I take this and I start eating this, it's going to satisfy that pain in the, in the pit of my stomach. It's going to satisfy my hunger. 
and, and, and at the same time, no one here, I think, if they're starving, is going to take a bite of it, chew it up, and then spit it out either, would you? Like, oh, on the napkin, unless it was terrible. We know that, yes. Uh, but chewing something and just spitting it out then is not, is not really eating it either. You say, what are you trying to say, Pastor? Here's what I'm trying to get. There's no middle ground. You either eat it or you don't eat it. Does that make sense? You either eat it or you don't eat it. Here's the thing. Thinking about eating is not the same thing as eating. Uh, knowing nutritional facts about the food that you're about to eat is not eating. Understanding how the, bo- how the food is metabolized by the body is not the same as eating. And, and here's the point. To believe in Jesus means that you actually do believe in Jesus, that you receive his salvation, that you have faith in him, that you've trusted in him, and then you receive him. See, thinking about Jesus is not the same as believing on Jesus. Knowing facts about Jesus is not the same as believing in Jesus. Understanding even how Jesus might save a person is not the same as believing and receiving him. See, believing in Jesus Christ is staking your life on the fact that the only way to live going forward is on your reception of him. It is placing your hope in him and not in yourself. It is recognizing your need of a savior and that your sin is a barrier to, uh, that needs to be repented of. It is, it is placing and completely putting your confidence in his finished work on the cross for you and that as your risen savior, he can in fact give you life and strength in this world and in the world to come. And the best part about it is that when you believe, you realize that you don't have to pay for it at all. There's not going to be an invoice sent to your inbox in a few weeks. (laughs) You know, by the way, you have this owing. Not at all. It is a complete free gift that is given to us. All you have to do is receive it. Now, I mentioned the, the, the group. I mentioned the Jews that were listening. I want to point out how they received it. Because it's, it's really an example of how much of the world does receive the gift of Jesus Christ. I'm just going to mention real quick, in verse 36, it tells us that they saw, but they did not believe. In verse number 41, uh, uh, they grumbled about it. Sorry, I should have reversed those. They grumbled about it. Verse number 60, they said it was too hard. And in verse 66, many even then, it says, many walked away from him. You remember that verse, verse 66, John 6, 66, where it says that many from that time walked away from him. Why wouldn't they believe? I mean, they'd seen, a, they'd seen miracles. They had seen him uh, feed the 5,000. I mean, did you need a bigger miracle than that? But they were still unwilling to follow Christ. And the reason is, is the same reason that many today do not follow Christ. And that is this, believing is hard. Believing is hard. Why? Because it means giving up your personal forms of salvation. It means giving up your trust in the physical to place your trust in the spiritual in Jesus. You know why it's hard? It's hard because it means you have to be vulnerable as an individual. It means you have to realize that I cannot do this on my own. I cannot save myself. No matter how much good I do, I cannot save myself. It it means that you own the fact that you need a savior. I need a savior. It's hard because you will have to understand that if you die without Christ, then there is a consequence for that. It's hard to humble yourself where you say, I desperately need Jesus Christ. It is not easy to believe but it is something that is true that we do need to believe because only Jesus can fill the emptiness of a person's soul. Only Jesus is the one who can give life. I came across a story that I think helps to illustrate it as we close today. Uh, There's a man by the name of Charles L. Allen and he wrote a book called God's uh, Psychiatry. Interesting title. Uh, But in the book, he gives an illustration from World War II The story, of course, goes that after World War II, there were a lot of orphans. 
There was a lot of orphans that missed out. Uh, of course, their parents had, had died in the war, whether fighting in the war or just by chance. And there were a lot of orphans that were very hungry. And what we know about them is that uh, it filled Europe and really it overwhelmed the Allied troops when the war came to an end, just to be confronted with the amount of orphans that were there. These children, of course, were hungry. They had been through great trauma and great anxiety. And they were, many of them were placed in camps. And in those camps, one of the great things is that they were finally well-fed for maybe the first time in a long time. And so they were fed and they were cared for. Uh, but the problem that came up was that those that were in charge of the care for those children, uh, they realized that the children, even though they were fed, even though they were safe, there weren't bombs being dropped everywhere, the children still really struggled to sleep. And they were sort of astounded by it. They said they, for the first time in maybe years, they have security. They have, uh, they have everything being taken care of, but these kids can't sleep. They have anxiety. They have fear. Well, finally, they came upon a solution. And the solution they came on was so interesting. Before bed every night, when the kids were in their beds and their bunks and they were putting them down, they would go from bed to bed and they would give each of those children a piece of bread. Now think about this for a minute. They would give them a piece of bread to each children that they would hold. Many of them would put it under their pillow or they would hold on to it. And when they started doing that, they saw a drastic change in the demeanor of these children. They began to sleep in peace. The anxieties began to fade away. And what they came to realize is that for these children, the difference was that they went to bed knowing that they had food for the next day for maybe the first time in years. And that changed everything for them. Holding onto a slice of bread as they slept brought peace to their worried souls. You know, we are in a world that offers countless false gods that entice our heart's affections. But there's only one God who can truly fulfill. The bread of life that can never be taken away from us so that we ourselves can also sleep in peace. This life in this world can only offer us temporary solutions, but the bread of life can completely and totally satisfy our souls. That is what helps us as believers to go to bed in peace, knowing that our souls are secure. And so today, as we think about Jesus as the, as the bread of life, I wanna encourage you, if you're bored, <laughs> if you're restless, if you're feeling, finding yourself filled with anxiety and you're struggling, there, you've noticed that in your own heart, there's a spiritual hunger Maybe you feel like something is missing within you. Maybe for some of you, you've been tempted to try to find fulfillment in other things. Even as a child of God, you're pursuing fulfillment and happiness and joy uh, in the pursuit of, of this world. And you're, you're trying to do everything you can to attain and to build and to grow. And it's still not making you happy. It's still not satisfying your soul. Whether it's a job or a, a relationship or just the pursuit of, of material things. Maybe it is that you've been trusting in your own self-confidence in the fact that I've got through rough things before and I'm gonna be fine right now. But there's still that yearning, there's still that emptiness, there's still that struggle within you. Can I ask you, can I encourage you today, would you seek fulfillment in Jesus Christ? Would you stop trying to do it on your own, stop trying to find it in yourself, stop trying to just grit your teeth and get through it? Would you find your fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the bread of life, <laughs> both in this life here he can give us joy. He can give us peace, but also for the world to come, which is that eternity in Christ. Now, for many of you, I know you're saved today. and I, I praise God for that. There may be some of you that are here that are not saved. I don't know. There may be some of you watching today that are not saved. I, I don't know. Would you put your faith and trust in Christ, first of all, for your eternity? 
and then recognize that you can rely on him completely and totally for satisfaction. That was the theme today. I don't know if you noticed that in the, in the points. It's all about satisfaction, the complete satisfaction so that you'll never hunger or thirst again spiritually. Your soul will not go without fulfillment. We must seek that fulfillment in Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've thought about that lately. I know I go through seasons of life where I just feel like, man, what's going on? Why am I not? I feel like I'm disconnected. I feel like, you know, and I try to blame all sorts of things. And what it often comes down to is that I have misplaced trust. I have a misplaced uh, desire at that point. And it needs to be returned to Jesus Christ, the bread of life. He is the satisfaction. If you're trying to find satisfaction in anything else but Jesus Christ, you're gonna come up short. I'll tell you what, I'm married to the most wonderful woman. 15 years we've been married. But I'll tell you what, I can't, I, I, she's, she can't be my God. You realize that? Jeanette can't be my God. I can't, I can't trust on her to meet a spiritual need in my heart. I can't do that for her. I can't do that for her. We both have to seek God. God has to be the center of that relationship and the center of our hearts individually. And, and make that what we focus on. I'll tell you what, it's way easier to go through life when you're not trying to make everybody else the full satisfaction of your soul. Make it about Christ and about Christ alone because Jesus is the bread of life. Well, we do want to thank you so much for tuning into the message today. And if it's been a help and encouragement to you in any way, uh, we would ask that you share the podcast. You can easily do that on either social media or maybe just uh, text the link to a friend. But like I said, it's our mission to help others find and follow Jesus here in Vancouver, uh, all across Canada and even around the world. And so you sharing the message today can really contribute towards that. Also, we would love for you to make a connection with us if you haven't already. And so the two best ways to do that is either by liking our Facebook page, that's City Baptist Church, or following our Instagram account, Advanced City Baptist. And of course, you can check out our website at citybaptist.ca. We do have all of our past sermon series on there available for you to stream, uh, past services, uh, worship, and just lots of other content and resources there to encourage you and strengthen you in your walk with God. But once again, thank you so much for tuning in today. We are looking forward to next week's message from our new series, I Am. We love you, we're praying for you, and we're here for you.